So we're going to start with pharmacokinetics. In our pharmacology classes back in school, we did something we call pharmacokinetics. We did pharmacokinetics and we look at pharmacodynamics. We look at some major words in pharmacology while in school, in nursing school, that give us a broader meaning of how can we understand the course pharmacology. And uh, those words are jargons that are unique to pharmacology as a course. And it is important that we know those jargons well to get ready for the English because sometimes this jargon is going to come in the English. It might give us a hint about how to answer a question. If we do not understand or know the meaning of some jargons in the English, it gives us hard time to go around and answer the question. So it becomes a bigger problem if we do not know the question due to words that are used within the question in the English. It gives us more difficult time to answer the question. So when we talk about pharmacokinetics, this is just how the medication we take, how the medication is going to uh, travel in our body to create its efficacy and to go where it is needed most to provide the reason for which the drugs was prescribed. So when you talk about like, uh, let's take for example, we talk about Tylenol. So if you had a headache or you had a pain in part of your body and uh, you took Tylenol, the Tylenol goes to your intestines or your intestinal mucosa it stays there until chemicals from our body are acted on it, break it down. Then you will have other vehicles in the body that will transport the drugs from where it was deposited to where it is needed most. Um, so those series of events that occur from taking the medication to deposit the medication to transporting it to where it works, it will provide it intended purpose for which it was taken everything is what we call pharmacokinetics now um there are different the variety of biochemical procedures or even that occur in our body before the medication can work if you took an iv medication po sublingual topical it works because it has to go to where it is needed before you can feel the effect. And that's the reason why there are some medication that we cannot take it by mouth, PO. Because taking it by PO or mouth, it goes through a longer process to get to where it is needed. And at times, when it gets to where it is needed, it has lost its efficacy. So it's not going to work. So it is, it is important that we understand these jargons that come with a the, that come with inner cause in order to move forward. Now, I'm not going to go into it like A, B, C because we all have uh, gone through them. And I'm going to do a broader rehearsal on them so we can move ahead. So when it comes to pharmacokinetics, there are different phases that fall under here. We have drugs absorption. Absorption of medication. Under medication absorption, it is um, the transmission of drugs when they are taken 
from the location of where it is deposited to how it can get to our various cells to use them and make us feel better. That's about absorption. So most of our medications that we take PO, they are absorbed in the intestinal mucosa. In the intestinal lining, there they, they're going to be deposited, stays there, dissolve, and the intestinal mucosa will absorb them and distribute them to the various body parts that need them to provide or to produce the internal effect for which it was prescribed. Now, under here, there are factors that can, uh, that can create problems or there are factors that can uh, add up or alter the drug absorption. The amount of drugs you can take, and that's why it is important we need to have the drugs to be given according to the red dose. If it is overdosed, it becomes harmful to the patient. If it is underdosed, it becomes less effective to the patient. So you do not want to serve medication as an overdose or as an underdose. You want to prescribe it according, you want to, you want to take it as according to how it was prescribed to move forward. Um, the route under which it was given, the route also has a huge effect on how the drugs can be effective. So if a drug is not to be administered PO, it was given PO, it becomes problem for the body. It, 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 it won't be able to work accordingly. If a medication was to be given um, IV, it was served IM, it would not provide the, 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 the internal purpose for which it was administered. If a drug was to be given topically and then you use a different route, it's not going to work how <clears throat> for the reason why it was prescribed. So there are so many different things that surround uh, medication absorption that can alter the process of absorption when it comes to uh, of pharmacology. Then we have the, the oral routes. There are different kinds of routes we use in drugs administration, the oral route. Now, you have the oral route, the sublingual or the beaker. <clears throat> you have um, the inhalation or the, the nasal route. You have what we call the intradermal or the topical route. You have the subcutaneous, you have the intramuscular, you have the intravenous routes. Now, all these routes have different uh, advantages and disadvantages, which I'm not going to go into, like how it is written, but for time's sake, you can go ahead and look at every route uh, and look at how, how, uh, what the do's and don'ts about it. Now, let me just go over one. Let's look at one, how it's going to work. Let's look at the oral route. Now, for the oral route, um, <clears throat> The drugs must pass layers of epithelium tissues. When you take drugs orally, the drugs should be able to pass different layers, different layers of epithelium tissues. In this case, those tissues have different effect on the medication. Now, <clears throat> when we take oral medication, these medications greatly uh, there are so many patterns of absorption that occur when it comes to taking oral medication. Let's take for example, um, the patient's stability and how the drugs can be dissolved plays a role in oral medication administration. 
The GIPH also plays a major role when you take oral, med or oral medication, meaning if the pH of the intestinal mucosa or the pH of the GI system is so high when, or when, or when the medication, the drugs will not work accordingly. So drugs that have so much that cannot stand the pH of the GI system, we cannot provide it through PO because PO medication passes through the GI system. That's why you see drugs like gentamicin. Gentamicin does not have PO. It's, it's given uh, parenterally. Now, for gentamicin, the reason why it does not have PO because it has, if it goes through PO route, it will not be effective, which is bad to administer it to PO. And that's why you wouldn't see gentamicin uh, PO. You see it as IM or IV. Now, there's something we call the half-pass effect, which we'll look at in time to come. It's very huge on certain medication. Some drugs, when you take some medication, the moment it goes through the liver, because the liver is that organ that detoxifies medication for us when we take them. Now, a have what we call uh, the half-pass effect. Now, in, in liver medication administration, when the medication cannot pass through the liver, the liver detoxification and survive by itself it's not going to work so in that case we cannot serve it through po route we'll give it through rm or iv or other means to provide the effect under which it was prescribed then uh, we also look at other medication now there are some drugs we cannot combine them with other medication we cannot combine aluminum hydroxide with other antibiotics medication because it has a negative effect on our medication it causes the other drugs not to be strong to produce their effect there are some drugs we do not administer together with other medication it might cause deadly effect for our body so in giving PO medication we have to consider all of these factors before we can administer a PO drug so when we are reading the drugs label when we are reading the drugs indication the drugs drugs interaction drugs full interaction these are things we want to look at and there are some medication we take on empty stomach, like levothyroxine, Synthroid. Synthroid is given early in the morning. When the patient has slept for like four, five, six, seven, or eight hours, in the morning, around five or six in the morning, patient take the medication before the patient can go and eat. Because it works better on empty stomach compared to when the client is taking the drug with food. All our medication cannot work on empty stomach. It's either going to create uh, abdominal problem for the patient. So in that case, we have to administer it with food. Drugs like uh, NSAID medication, naproxen, drugs like ibuprofen, those medications are to be administered along with food because it has some high, some high effect on the intestines or on the intestinal mucosa. Drugs that contain acid. They gotta be served with food because the acidic content of the medication can destroy the lining of the intestines. So we have to understand which drugs can be given with food, which drugs cannot be administered with food. These are things we have to understand when it comes to pharmacology. Now, our GI system has um, a unique pH between 1.5 to 3.5. That's the normal pH 
of our GI system, our, our gastrointestinal system. So if you took a PO drugs, PO medication goes through the GI system, PO drugs must go through, uh, must go through what we call, it must go through uh, the liver. So if a drugs, of, if the drugs cannot form in this pH and survive, meaning we cannot administer that drugs through a PO route. So we have different type of routes when it comes to medication administration. Like I said, I have, I have named all the various uh, routes. So we can look at them and go ahead and uh, expand on them. Now let's look at um, factor influencing the rate at which medication can be this, uh, medication can be metabolized. There are factors that can also cause drugs um, to have bad metabolism, meaning it is broken down to a bad means. One is age. Age is a big thing when it comes to medication. That's the reason why we will not give the same milligram of Tylenol that an adult would take. We wouldn't give the same, mil uh, the same milligram to a pediatric client. That's the same reason why we will not give aspirin to certain age range of children because it might cause some deadly effect to infant or children. Now, age plays a major role. At our older age also, we tend to look at certain drugs we will not want to prescribe for our older folks, our geriatric clients, a certain dosage because it might create harm for them. Also, there are certain medication that we wouldn't want to administer it at a certain point in time in our life. So age has a very important aspect on medication metabolism. Now, we also have what we call enzyme, the increase in medication metabolizing enzyme. There are, there are enzymes that metabolize medication enzyme needed to metabolize medication now these enzymes play a major role in drugs administration now there are some medication we take them they start to work very fast meaning there are enzymes that are waiting for them once they are administered this enzyme will start to break them down to like help them to metabolize and be used by the body cells there are some medication that uh, like you have drug of or like you want to see ER external release medication. Now there are some drugs that comes in ER form, XL form, uh, or delay release form, DR and other things. Those medication when they are administered, they do not just dissolve right away. So we wait until it reaches so the point at which it is needed to be dissolved and be metabolized, then it's not to work for the body. So we have some drugs, you're going to see ER on it, XR, those drugs are available. So you'll see what we call the external release medication. So the need to stay in the body for longer time until they can be able to be, they, they can fit into the system and be, and, 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 and then when the enzyme that they need to act on them to pr produce the effect for which they were prescribed. Then those start to work, but if not, if they get if they get dissolved at pre or let's say prematurely, 
They cannot produce or provide the effect for which they were administered. Then we have called the first pass effect I talk about. Now, the first pass effect of medication, first pass effect. Now, this first pass effect, it is very important when it comes to pharmacology. The first pass effect, it is when the liver, the liver of the body, the liver, when the liver detoxifies the medication, because every drugs we take with we take through the oral route, parenterally, uh, sorry, or, or, or through uh, our mouth, uh, PO medication, they have to go through what we call the first pass effect, and that means it goes to the liver. The liver detoxifies it before it is ready for its use under which it was prescribed. This first pass effect, the liver inactivates some medication on their first pass effect. Thus, they require a non-enteral route. So this medication, we cannot provide through enteral route. So they would need to be provided through a, a non-enteral route, which is a parenteral route. So drugs like I talk about like gentamicin, the liver, if it was produced in PO, it wouldn't work for anybody. It wouldn't work at all because when you take gentamicin in PO, it goes to the intestinal mucosa, it passes through the liver to get detoxified. The moment the liver enzyme acts on those medications, on gentamicin, it becomes useless. It, it is not no more what we think it is. And that's why gentamicin does not come in PO. It comes in non-enteral route, which is parenteral or other route it is prescribed in. Now, so the first pass effect is how the liver acts on medication to detoxify them and then before they can be used by the body. Because every drug has some toxic material in it. So the liver has to remove those toxic material before it can be used by the body. So that is what we call the first pass effect of medication. And that is also one of the factors that can hamper, uh, that can hamper uh, the medication metabolism. Another thing is the pathway. We have drugs pathways, pathway of drugs administration, the pathway. Now, the pathway talks about um, when you have the same medication going through the same path. Some drugs have antagonistic effect, some has synergistic effect. Now, other drugs can potentiate another medication, like if you're taking like a insulin. Now, hydrocortisone or corticosteroids, you don't want to administer corticosteroids with Along with uh, along with uh, other medication, corticosteroids have the ability to what to reduce the effect of other medications. Antacid, you do not want to provide some antacid along with other medication because the antacid can nullify the effect of other medications. Now, so based upon that, if they are to be given in the same route, we must give it at least some time between them to administer the two drugs at the same time. If we do them at the same time, there might be other problem. And some drugs can speed up. Like uh, when you take um, 
When you take penicillin along with, I think it just, I think it's probenicide or, I have to check it out. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure of this. Now, some medication you must administer along with other drugs to potentiate the effect, to make it to work faster. Like, to give it, like, you have some of the insulin. Sometimes we have to combine a long acting or short acting to produce the best effect of insulin. So those things happen. Then last is nutritional status. Like I talked about, about it already, nutritional status plays also a very important role when it comes to um, just administration because nutritional status is when you do not, when setting, like I talked about setting food, uh, the body should not get the medication along with that particular food. Some medication given is given on empty stomach, some is given with food. Like majority of the TB medication, the anti-TB drug, anti-tobacular medication, they are given on empty stomach. So when you give them on empty stomach, they tend to work better for the client. And that's, that's why we administer TB medication early in the morning. That's when we administer anti-tobacular medication so that it can be able to work without food. Just like take a cycling, it's administered on empty stomach and it produces the best effect on empty stomach compared to when it's administered with food. Any question on this, uh, on, on what we've been talking about? Any question? So I'm about to talk about um, drugs responses and uh these responses are important when it comes to drugs or pharmacology we're talking about like agonist agonist antagonist these are words that you have to understand in farm to be able to understand different growth medication we're talking about um like a beta blockers blockers beta adrenergic receptor medication agonist antagonist medication we have to know a lot of things about these words because these words help to provide us the meaning or the reason for which the drugs is called by its class so like i said in when you are doing certain medication you want to understand the enzyme how does the enzyme that will be regulated by that medication works when we're taking drugs for anti like anti-diuretic medication or anti-hypertension medication they are different type you have the ace inhibitors if you do not understand what is the ace what the word ace means you wouldn't be able to understand the function of ace when it comes to hypertension if you don't understand what beta agnetic means, you will be understanding the effect of beta agnetic agent. So there are a lot of things you have to understand about this medication to be on the right path to get to pharmacology. Now, when it comes to medication, um, we have what we call therapeutic index in medication administration. Therapeutic index. Every drug has a therapeutic index. Now, the therapeutic index, um, it is the, the point at which a drug reaches um, to provide its adequate 
efficacy, how strong the drug is. So drugs therapeutic index depends on how it is prescribed. And that's why when we miss the drugs prescription, either it's gonna cause us more problem or it's not going to work for us. So the body must maintain certain therapeutic index for drugs to be able to work. If the body exceeds or if the drug exceeds that particular index, it's not going to work for the patient. And if it does not reach that index, it's still not going to work for the patient. So when you're taking the drug scene, called pains, phenytone, or Depakote, all those drugs have different therapeutic indexes that you need to know for them. Um, it is good to know because the body, the blood level, that's why some drugs, when you are on them, you have to take the client blood serum, the client blood test to know the serum level of the medication in the client blood because the doctor does not want to exceed a particular therapeutic level of the client, which can also affect the client. So these are things the doctor wants to know, the, the doctor wants to know and, and stay on the right path with his prescription. Now, then we talk about um, in the therapeutic index, uh, a drug has a safety margin. And it is that safety margin the doctor is concerned about that a patient's safety range should not be exceeded or the drug should not fall below the safety range of the medication. If it does, meaning in that case, we have to stop the medication and do some laboratory tests and know the level of the drugs in the child or in the patient's body. Now, the nurse should also consider the route when you are talking about the peak level of the medication. How is it administered? For example, an oral medication can peak from one to three hours. If the route is IV, the peak time might be 10 minutes. So this is also important. So the time at which the drug is administered, 10 a.m. in the morning, you want to know at which time this drug will be at its best peak. It is important to know that. Now, so most of the time, drugs that we give PO is between one to three hours. That's when their peak started to kick in. Because it has to go through so many different effects like I talked about in the past. Now, drugs that are given parenterally, IV or IM medication, might have faster peaks compared to PO drugs. Because these drugs, when they are administered like IV, the drugs go directly into systemic circulation. And the effect starts to be observed or starts start to be felt within less than an hour. Now, we have what we call a 12th level. We also have what we call a 12th level of medication. These are jargons you want to remove from the ankles. They are very important. The trough, the peak, the uh, first uh, past effects, the agonist, antagonist. You want to write this down, look at them, and know there are many. Let them stay with you for, for the, until your ankles. Now, under the drugs or trough levels, we obtain a blood sample. The blood sample is obtained 
before the next dose, regardless of the route of medication or administration. So to know the trial level of the, of the drugs, we must obtain um, the blood level. So the trial level is the lowest at which the drugs can reach before the next dose. That becomes a trial level. So the trial level is the lowest level. So if you took a drug like you took like a um, let's say Dalantin, right? If you took Dalantin 10 a.m., the doctor wants to know at what time this drugs will reach its lowest level. That becomes the trough. So the lower level at which the drug will reach to before a new drugs is administered. The doctor wants to know that. So when you hear the, when you hear the doctor say, okay, I want to know the drug's trough level is what the doctor is talking about. And it's important. So we, if we administer Dalantin at 10 a.m., before we administer the next Dalantin, whether it is four hours or six hours apart, before the drug, before the next Dalantin is administered, we must do a blood draw to investigate the previous levels of Dalantin in the blood. These are important parts that we want to, we want to look at. You want to go over them a lot to know them now then we have what we call short half life and long half life of medication we have the short half life and we have the long half half life short half life now Half life. Let's look at the, let's look at first. Let's look at half life. What is half life in pharmacology? Half life in pharmacology. This refers to the time of the drugs in the body to drop by half. So you took Tylenol. You took a Tylenol. One gram. So what time it takes for this? one gram of Tylenol to reach half of its therapeutic level. The reason is very simple, right? So every drug has an index in this format. So the, every drug has a graph, an imaginary graph that we do not see, which gives us the drug's therapeutic index. So the graph goes like this. At this point is the point at which the drugs is administered at this point which is zero now the drugs start to potentiate it goes up and reaches its highest level that is the therapeutic range is, is the highest level at which the drugs will reach to to to, to complete its highest effect from their own war it will not potential anymore it will only drop in its efficacy now so at this point it starts to drop so this becomes the drugs half life at this point is the what we call the half life so at this point if we took one gram of Tylenol and it started to work from this point point A at this point point B it is the point at which the Tylenol has reached its 
half life. The half life is half of the drugs efficacy has been felt, or half of the drugs power has been felt. So going over after this particular point B, which is the half life point, this drugs, this drugs will not function any more higher. The function of the drugs will begin to decrease. So at the point at which the drugs has yielded its most therapeutic effect and it has started to drop, that becomes the half-life of the medication. So coming downward this way, it only gets to get lower. So at this point, before the drugs can stop or leave the body, is when we do the trough level to know the time it takes they just to stop or uh, to wear away from the body. So these are things you want to remove for the medication. The half life, the trough. Now, like I said, half life refers to the medication in the body, the time for the medication in the body to drop by 50%. So the time at which a medication drops its effects or its efficacy by half or 50% is what we call half-life of the medication. So the doctors are also concerned about the drug's half-life. Now, medication have two kinds of half-life. We have the short half-life and we have the long half-life. Now, the short half-life, the short half-life of medication, this is um, the point at which the drugs leave the body quickly. So you have short doses, short acting medication. They will have a short or half life. So they begin to work very fast and they leave the body also very quickly compared to long half life medication. Now that's why in insulin, we have short acting insulin and we have long acting insulin. That's why in every medication, Abuturol is a rapid-acting every medication. So if a client has asthmatic attack, we have the Samiturol, we have Abuturol. Which one will the nurse administer first? The nurse want to, wants to administer a short half-life drugs that will start to act faster, but it might not last longer because at that point, our, our, our goal is to arrest the airway obstruction. So we're going to administer a rapid acting abiturol. Now, if the client is going to exercise, the client might need a long acting medication to prevent exercise induced asthmatic attack. For that case, we can administer formiturol or samiturol in such case. So you have to know these things according to how you're going to see it in the book. It's hard to remember, but you got to look at it over and over and over and again. If you do that over and over time, you remember these things in pharmacology. Now, other things again under here, we also have um, short dosing interval or drops in MEC in MEC uh, uh, drugs level. That's about how it's about the same half life. Now, I said in the short half life, in short half life, we said the medications leave the body very quick. 
So short half life drugs level is between four to eight hours. Within these hours, the drugs have been produced. The drugs has produced its intended efficacy. In these same hours, the drugs will begin to wear away from the body. And I said that's the reason why short half life medication are administered, like in acute cases, to arrest situation, to arrest some other uh, situation, um, very fast. So, like take for example, when a client has asthmatic attack, wherein the client is going into asthmatic attack, you have different group of medication for asthma. You have the Samituraw, you have the Abituraw, you have the Aminophilin, you have all those, you have like a, the mast cells inhibitors, the Cumulin, you have the Apatropion, you have all those drugs. What comes to your mind at that point is to use a medication that is rapid in a resting situation and that drugs would be Saba, which is a short-acting bitter, um, how you call it? It's called Saba medication. It's, uh, it's called Saba. So this is a short-acting medication. Now, you want to use this drugs. Example of this medication is Abiturol because Abiturol is a short-acting anti-asthmatic drugs. So when you use the Abiturol, it comes in very fast to arrest the situation. Now, if a client is going for exercise and this client is asthmatic, this client will need a low-acting medication that will stay in his or her system for a longer time. Now, this drugs, example, you have the Samiturol. Now, Samiturol could be for long-term, long-acting medication. This for the LABA, the long-acting beta medication, LABA. So, short half life you have example as the why the arbitral for short half life medication this is also applied to insulins so if a client is about to eat a food on the scene you want to give the short acting medication rapid acting drugs that will help the client to break down the blood sugar in the soonest possible time if a client is going to bed, we give the client one long-acting or intermediate insulin, which stays the client for 12 to 24 hours to regulate the client blood sugar while the client is asleep. So short half-life drugs are drugs that have short half-life or that have short time in the body, but they are rapid in a resting situation when it comes to emergency problems. And those drugs last for between four to eight hours when it comes to their half-life. Then we have the long half-life medication. The long half-life medication, half-life medication, or half-life, long half-life, these are drugs that leave the body slowly. So these drugs leave the body slowly. Whereas, the short half-life leave the, leave the body quicker or quickly or faster or in a speeded manner. Now, in the long half-life, this medication uh, takes at least, it goes above 24 hours. 
before it can be uh before it before it sort of leave the body for this medication now what i want you to understand is for the law have life they have greater risk to accumulate and create toxic effect compared to the short half life so we also tend to say for law acting when you take long when you take long half life medication the drugs can build up in the body and create drugs toxicity to, to, uh, some drugs toxic effect for the long acting medication now this medication can be given with can be given at longer intervals without the loss of a therapeutic peaks so the long acting we can give it for long interval and it will still maintain a therapeutic peak example is the long acting insulin is given like something like run at bedtime the peak is maintained throughout the night until in the morning and the client blood sugar can still remain uh effective now don't get me wrong there are some other effects that come with long acting insulin like 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 we all know about what we call um the 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 sumoji effect for insulin and the downs phenomenon so we know about it, but that is not what i'm talking i'm talking about like long acting as a whole the drugs maintains its therapeutic effects in a period of time now so uh, the drugs can also take a longer time to reach its steady state meaning it takes a longer time to start to work so you will not give a client a long acting uh airway medication when the client has asthmatic attack you wouldn't want to because you will, you will be of no help to the client then we look at terms that fall under pharmacodynamics terms that fall under pharmaco pharmacodynamics what are these terms the first term on it is agonist agonist so you will see medications that talks about that 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 are labeled as this agonist that agonist you will see them a lot in pharmacology now what is important here is in pharmacodynamics the term pharmacodynamics describes the interaction between the medication the drugs target cells body systems body organs and how the drugs produce the desired effect that's what that that's about pharmacodynamics this tells us how a drug will interact with the cells in the body of the organs of the system in producing the therapeutic effect now um also agonists when we talk about agonists agonists are drugs or uh, terms that we talk about and they are like a uh, binders the agonists bind to receptors um in our body to regulate medication so this is what's going to happen right so when you hear beta agonists now this medication these drugs are not 
producing direct effect in the body when it comes to treatment. Agonists do not produce direct effect in the drugs when it comes to treatment. Agonists potentiate body receptor site or in short they stimulate body receptor site or they mimic body receptor site to produce certain chemical that will create uh, relief for the body. So let's take a look, let, let, let look at some uh, some narcotics medication. So narcotics medication these medications there are some that do not stop the pain to be honest what is in there is these drugs potentiate other body sites or the black other body parts that will potentiate the relief of pains in our body so example could be um let's look at okay so I'm gonna give you a example. Let's let's start right here. We'll get out because I don't want to go into too much um, explanation. Then we have then we lost track. Let's get on that. This receptor site, we have target cells. These agonists are drugs products that go to those target cells and mimic them to produce certain effect for the body. That's how agonists work in the body. So take for example. If you had, um, you were walking in the street and somebody came and hit you in the face and started to fight you, you cannot fight the person because the person, is, oh, the person has a gun or the person is bigger than you. Take the phone and call the cops. The cops will fight for you. The cops will prosecute the person to court. The court will go through the case. The person is found guilty and they will, be, they will pay the penalty for, what? for fighting you. So you just making a call, that call you make, uh, the call you made that led you to the court and the person was found guilty. That is like you are acting like an agonist. Yes, you have set up a prison that the person will not attack other person in the street at any point in time anymore because of your call. Oh yes, I deal with him. Yes, I deal with him. He will never ever try that. No, you did not deal with him directly. You call a police or you call the cops and the cops came and took him to court. That's how you deal with him. Now, there are some medication that will work by beating the system. So that example could be someone hit you in the face in the street and you went into a fist fight, hit the person, beat them up and they were defeated. So that becomes a direct effect of you on the patient, there are some drugs that will produce those direct effects on the patient. There are some drugs will only mimic other enzyme, other body chemical to produce relief for the body. Those drugs are called the agonist. Now, then we like those drugs you have, like you have the morphine. So morphine will not produce, will not stop, 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 stop the pain directly. Morphine, when it's given, it stimulates or mimics other receptors that will block pain sensation. And that's when our pain go, our pains go away when we are in pain. So when you take morphine, you take sedative medication, you take uh, analgesic, 
You take just for constipation. That's what happened. That's a, that, that, that's a good example. Drugs for constipation. If you took a drugs for constipation, the drugs will not go to the intestines and evacuate the feces from the intestine. No. So the drugs will produce, some drugs will produce fluid, will stimulate the brain to produce fluid into the GI tract, and the fluid, the fluid that is produced in the GI tract will remove the impacted feces in the GI tract. So some drugs that, that, that will produce, a, that will be taken when, when the client has constipation, does not have a direct effect on clearing the GI tract, but it has an indirect effect, meaning it works on the brain, and the brain will stimulate other bodily organs to produce fluid in the GI tract to move the impacted feces from in there. So, we'll, so these are drugs you're going to see. You'll see the agonists, you'll see the antagonists, you'll see different medication types. Now, when, when we come to pharmacology, there are different drugs that have different side effects on different body parts. The eyes medication. You want to know how to administer drugs for the eyes. Eye drops, eye ornaments. You want to understand how this medication works. Any questions so far? Let's take a five minute break and come back. All right, so when we are administering drugs in the eyes, in the nose, in the ears, we all understand how we administer medication. Up wall and back wall. Pull the pin of the ear up wall and lay it back wall is for adults. Pull it down wall and lay it back wall is for kids. So we have to remember these things according to the age range. You want to remember when you're getting an eye drop, the client will have to sit straight, lay the hair back wall and look in the ceiling, look up to the ceiling. These are common tips we do not want to miss. So if you don't know these things, go back and review them. I'm not going to go into this one because they are like kind of like things that we need to know. We can look at them on our spare time. Make sure um, the conjunctiva and the drugs is at least one to two centimeters apart from each other. So if you have the dropper like this, it should be at least one to two centimeters apart. And if we got to administer two different medications in the client eyes, we should give at least five minutes apart. These are common things that come in the end of the lab. And we have to know these tips for the for the um, for this medication. You want to also look at DPR and P and, 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 and uh, MDR, meter dose inhalers. Look at dry powder inhalers. Look at the metered dose inhaler. Um, inhaler. That is the MDR. Look at the procedure. This comes a lot in drag and drop. Look at the dry powder inhaler. Dry powder inhaler. The DPR. Look at that for real. Look at the DPR. Look at it. MDR. These are things you want to look at 
and understand how um, they are administered. How you know, this is how you learn this. If I stand here and tell you the process of using a DPR, you're not going to remember it for real, for real. You will not remember it. You have to look at it on YouTube or from Google or from your book in the Sunders. Stand in front of the mirror and demonstrate this procedure over and over and again. The more you demonstrate them, the better you, be, you will get to understand this procedure. So you stand in front of the mirror, demonstrate them one, two or more times a day to know exactly how you do, how do you... Um, how do you use them? So if you do that one or two or more time, you understand how it works and how you do them. So I advise that you look at this procedure and use other things in your house. You can use the, a marker, a cup, a bottle to demonstrate the meter dose inhaler procedure, demonstrate the dry powder inhaler, demonstrate how you wear, how you done and undone gloves, masks, or PPEs. You want to demonstrate these things more. The more you demonstrate them yourself, you understand how to do them in the endless, rather than just reading them or listening to them. Drag and drop procedures, you have to demonstrate them more times at home. Get used to how they are done. If you get used to it, it's going to help you a lot. If you do not, it's not going to help you. So you also want to look at Z-Track method. How do we administer drugs using Z-Track method? Z-Track. You want to also remember this. Z-Track, how you administer medication injection with Z-Track method is important because it comes in the ankles as drag and drop. You want to demonstrate this, look at it on YouTube, look it up on Google, demonstrate how you do it. <clears throat> Learn them by heart. Try to demonstrate them as many times as possible to know them by feeling. Don't just read them because we all here have read how we do DPI, MDI, and other things. But if I say, can you stay and tell me how we administer this medication through a DPI or Z-Track method, it's going to be difficult. So do not look at them like that. Try to like, uh, make sure you demonstrate them more times. To ensure that a drug can be used and provide its safety or can be used safely, we must consider everything that comes along with the drugs, including the drug's therapeutic effects, the side effects, the adverse effects, the drugs, um, the drugs contraindication, the route of administration, we'll look at all these things surrounding the medication before it can be administered. Now, to ensure that a drug is administered safely, we want to prevent drugs or meth error. And that's the reason why some institutions can be very high, can be very, when it comes to drug error, they have so many um, huge uh, laws or or like uh, guidelines when it comes to drugs administration so if you have worked in a, another setting where you do the mar through through um, a folder you read the mar and you went to somewhere where, where the people use a computer system to do medication administration it might look different 
And if you have worked in an area or an institution wherein they use um, the binder M A uh, the banner email where they're gonna read the drugs car on the uh, in the banner, you can look at the drugs, look at it on the paper, look at it on the cardex, pop it up, insert it, and then you and you, you work to where you use a machine, you use a software that pass made for longer time. If you get to where you gotta use the paper MAR, it becomes difficult. Because in the computer system, you have a software that just scan the drugs. Now that can really avoid mad error, but yet we can still have mad error. But the mad error might not be as deadly compared to when you're using just the paper MAR. Because even if you pull out the wrong drugs for a patient and you want to scan the drugs, it wouldn't scan. It will tell you that this drugs is not the red drugs for the patient. If it is the wrong dose that you want to administer, when you scan it, it will tell you insufficient dose or it is overdose. And you can look at the computer and see and go back and uh, tailor it according to the patient prescription. So there are so many things surrounding medication that we need to avoid errors when it comes to drugs administration. Medications are chemicals that can affect our body, no matter how you think. It affects the body either in a good way or it affects the body in a bad way. No matter how you take it or how you think it, medications are chemicals that affect our body. When we receive more than one medication, there, become, there is a higher potential that we might be having more drugs problem compared to one medication because a lot of drugs have different do's and don'ts. Now, we look at drugs that can enter our food, herbal products, other medication. These are things that should draw our attention when we look getting medication. Now, one of the most important is drugs. When we talk about drugs, um, when we talk, when we talk, when we talk about drugs. Uh, allergy it is very important that's why at every hospital we write the patient drugs allergy on at the front at the back of the patient chart or the MAR is written in different color so that when you open the MAR when you open the patient uh, the patient chart you will see that color coming in your face that indeed I am a no-no do not give me or administer me all medication so it is important that you know the patient allergy uh, to avoid any uh, allergic reactions while you administer medication. Drugs also have specific contraindications and they have specific precautions um, which can produce a harmful effect whenever they are administered. Drugs has different responses that might not be the same with other individuals. You have age group with different, uh, with different drugs, sex, uh, disease condition, and sometimes our ethnic backgrounds also have a huge effect on how we perceive drugs uh, or how drugs gonna work for us. Because there are some drugs, we look at it, some people will not take certain medication that Someone who is a Muslim or someone who, who, who does not drink alcohol will not want to drink an extract that might contain an alcohol or alcoholic product in it. 
So all these things should be considered when we are going to administer medication. And the CNS also plays plays a major role when it comes to drugs administration. Um, the, some drugs will cause CNS depression, like the morphines, the narcotic medication, they can cause CNS depression. So when a client is already depressed, already having a problem, you want to see what are those drugs that you cannot administer when a client has certain condition. It is important that we look at these things. It is important that we're going to read the drug label, see it, do our three checks before we can administer this medication. Um, what is important here is um, look at the organ the drug is going to work on. Look at the drug's toxic effects. Now, the toxic effect is always an adverse effect. It's not a side effect. Let me just go over this. Drug's toxic effect or drug's toxicity, it is not a side It is an adverse effect of medication that we call toxicity. So, adverse effects are not the same as side effects. Side effects come with medication. We expect them to happen. Adverse effects are not what we intend to happen. We, we, we intend to happen when we administer medication. They are like the opposite of what the drugs is being administered for. That becomes the adverse effects. So toxic effects or drug toxicity is also an adverse effect that is that can be severe and can be life-threatening. Now, um. Sometimes a drug will not produce this adverse effect until it is OD or overdose. If we overdose medication, then we'll begin to see the drug's adverse effect or the drug toxic effect, like the drug scene. That's why we have to monitor the drug's blood level. Drugs like phenytoin. Drugs like carbamazepine, carbamazepine, drugs like vaporic acid, lithium, those drugs they have, you can serve them, but the moment their therapeutic level has been crossed, it will begin to build up in the body, and that building up will lead to toxic effect of, of the medication in our body, and that's why the doctors are always ordering. The client blood serum level for lithium, when they are on lithium, the drug scene, when they are on the drug scene, the little level for vaporic acid, if they are on vaporic acid, because the doctors do not want to produce a toxic effect to the patient when they are on this medication. It is important to know these things. Um, also, we look at Another one is the drugs, the drugs allergic reaction, allergic reaction. Now, this allergic reaction for this medication, we look at it also, we try not to create immune response. So when you hear allergic reaction, is the body creating an immune response. So if we give a drugs that the patient is allergic to, 
the patient the patient body will respond and that response is what we call other reaction it is our immune system trying to respond to what it has sensed as a foreign body so in so so when that occurs the client will have immune response which is allergic reaction now um so how do we know this we know by previous uh drugs or body response to the medication so clients who are allergic to ampistol penicillins 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 medications or pcn we call it short will read pcn in red on their chart will put pcn if it is other drugs we read them on the client's chart in red or in a sensitive color a bright color to indicate the other reaction in here because if you administer them they're going to have bad reaction so drugs that cause reaction that has some toxic effect the body if those drugs have uh antidote we never administer those medication without the antidote being present so when you er or in the emergency department we have all those drugs and their antidotes if they are not available we don't serve them if a client came under your watch and having a particular condition and this drug that the client needs this drug can cause some toxic effect and that drug does not have its antidote to be present you do not administer that drugs because it makes no it makes no sense trying to kill a patient and then you kill the patient so trying to kill them c-u-r-e and then you you went on to kill them k-i-l to kill them in that case it makes no sense but we want to help them we do not intend to, to destroy them so in helping them with administer a medication that we do not have the antidote for that medication and if we can start to go into hypersensitive reaction or other reaction now we cannot help and we just think they look at the patient the patient can pass away and die in our hand instantly so instead of curing them now we've killed them so uh these drugs if you look in the standard book there are so many of those drugs in there with different uh, side effects and diff uh, with different uh, antidotes and therapeutic index in the sinus. Now, then we have what we call anaphylactic reaction. We have what we call anaphylactic reaction or anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis uh, reaction or we have anaphylactic reaction. Now, this is one of the worst, if not the worst reaction you ever want to see from a patient. So, um, when we talk about added reaction, we have different category that ranges between mild to severe. When it is severe reaction, that will cause death or that threatens the client's life in a short period of time we then call it anaphylactic uh, reaction 
It is a life-threatening, immediate allergic reaction. It is a life-threatening and it is an immediate allergic reaction that the client goes through that will cause respiratory distress, that's going to cause severe bronchospasm, that's going to cause laryngeal edema and a drop in blood pressure, and then there'll be a cardiovascular collapse. I'm going to write this on the board and tell you how this occurred. So in Ayurvedic shock, it begins with reaction to the body. The first thing I want to see, there will be respiratory distress. That's the first thing you see on here. From this RD, respiratory distress, it moves into what we call severe bronchospasm. Severe bronchospasm. After severe bronchospasm, it progresses into laryngeal edema. Laryngeal edema comes in. After that, the next thing that occurs in there, there will be a quick drop in our blood pressure. There will be a quick drop in the blood pressure. Then, there will be cardiovascular collapse. Our heart, there will be cardiovascular collapse. Our heart will stop beating. And when the heart stops beating, our body cells will not receive O2. If the body cells do not receive O2, there won't be any saturation or cellular perfusion. And if this occurs, our body cells our, will shut down, it will stop working. And when the cells stop working, our various organs and tissues and system will also stop working. And if those systems in our body stop working, then our body will stop working and then we are going towards death. So that's how dangerous this anaerobic reaction can be when it comes to drugs contraindication. So when they say the, when they say the client is the client has an allergic reaction to penicillin, it happens in less than two minutes. The moment you administer penicillin, the body cells will detect it, and there will be an immediate. That's why the word "immediate" is important with this definition. There will be an immediate body reaction. There will be an immediate immuno reaction. Our immune system will, will provide an immediate reaction, and that reaction will begin with distress. So the client cannot breathe well. Next thing you see, the client having bronchospasm. The client whole bronchial airway or the whole airway is not moving. You want to look? There will be laryngeal edema. The larynx there will be uh, thick mucus in the, the mast cells. They will accumulate, they will produce chemicals in there. You want to look, that blockade of the airway will become narrow. That will cause our heart to collapse. So that's how it occurs on an reaction. Now, 
when we see general reaction, which is allergic reaction, what the nurse would do, the nurse would treat mild uh, allergic reaction with uh, Benadryl. So the nurse would treat mild reaction. So a mild reaction, which is called other reaction is treated with Benadryl. Benadryl can treat those reaction. Those reactions include like you have things coming in your skin like rashes and other things. That is a mild reaction to medication or any other things you're gonna have. So that's mild. Benadryl and other corticosteroids can treat that, can seize it, can put it under control. That's not a big deal. We all have had some reaction to medication mild reaction in some in some way food other things so you will see rice coming on the skin and other things those are guess those are guess mild reaction now um in this mild reaction before you administer a drugs that has so much potential for creating adverse effects you want to ask the client are you have you ever taken this job before yes how did it treat you when you took it? I was fine. Have you ever had a vaccine before? How did it treat you? You want to understand these things. That's why when a client is going for angiography, we ask the client, have you ever taken, have you ever eaten shellfish before? Do you have reaction to shellfish or iodine? We won't know because what we use to produce, uh, to do those procedures, contains iodine and it contains iodine and if you are already also allergic to what to shellfish so we want to understand this because we'll use a contrast medium for those procedures in those con in those procedure the contrast medium we are using contains some derivative of shellfish that's why we are asking this question to the client now we so if the client has if the client has a severe reaction, the nurse can treat with epinephrine, bronchodilators, antihistamines. So we'll treat it with all these medications. We'll treat with epinephrine. We'll give bronchodilators. We'll give corticosteroids. We'll give cortico steroids now in this medication you do not need doctor prescription to get this medication let's remember that for the English. you do not need the doctor order to provide this drug for a client who is having hypersensitive reaction or who is having a, a, an allergic reaction you don't need a doctor to to do that other than that if you call a doctor the patient will have been, will have been dead and gone um so you provide regular support for the client then you inform the doctor so if a client was on a medication and the client is having some anaphylactic reaction we in that case we want to administer epinephrine want to administer bronchodilators then we want to go ahead 
and give other regulatory support before we call the HCP. So you want to see how it works? We give epinephrine, bronchodilators, corticosteroids. Then you call the doctor. That's how it works for this medication. Then we have um, the EPS. EPS is also important to know how to manage when it comes to medication. The EPA is what we call extra parameter parameter symptoms. EPS is called EPS in short. So EPS are movement disorders that include involuntary fine motor tremors, rigidity, uncontrollable restlessness, acute dystonia, where you have those spastic movement of the body parts. Um, the client will have rigidity in the neck, in the face, and the eyes, the tongues, and other body parts will become rigid. It cannot move. Those are things that are going to happen when the client has EPS. Your EPS are most mostly linked with drugs that affect the CNS, um, like client who own mental, uh, client who own antipsychotic medication, antipsychotic medication, uh, client who own psychotropic medication. And client who wants sometimes they on anti-epileptic medication, they can exhibit the symptoms of EPS in this case. So you want to understand uh, the real reaction and the treatment for each. Because in the ankles, the ankle will tax us, they will give us some symptoms of drug reaction, and they will ask us what can we use. A client who is having a lip smacking after, after taking an antidepressant medication, what would be the client management? Or what symptom the client is showing? So you have to understand whether the symptom is EPS symptom or it is a symptom from mild drug reaction or severe drug reaction. So these are things you want to understand about the medication. Um, then, lastly, EPS are more often uh, also when you, when you have anticoagulant medication can also help to minimize most EPS. So most EPS will give anti Cholinergic medication, anti-cholinergic medication are administered with EPS. So we treat EPS with anti-cholinergic medication. Those like uh, the atropines and other drugs. That's how. That's what we use to to um, to stop the effect of EPS in the ankles. Any question?